Hello, I'm Anne Mossop, Sydney Writers' Festival Artistic Director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program. Oh, thank you so much for coming out late on a Thursday. This is an amazing turnout. Um, before we get underway today, I do want to pay my respects um, to the uh, Gadigal people of the Eora Nation whose lands we are on today. Um, I particularly pay my respects to the elders past and present. Um, First Nations people are our first storytellers um, and it's an honour to continue on on their land which was never ceded um, in that tradition. So thank you very much for coming out um, and paying those respects with us. Um, We have an amazing panel here today. I'm pretty stoked about it to be quite honest and not because one of them is my best friend. (laughs) Um, I'll let you choose who that might be. (laughs) Um, I'll start from down the end. We've got Farz Zadraki who is an Iranian-Australian writer based in Sydney. She's the deputy editor of ABC Every Day and she's worked as a TV producer uh, on Tonightly with Tom Ballard, The House and The School That Tried to End Racism. Thank you so much, Farz. Um, and we have Bridie Jabal, who's the opinion editor of The Guardian Australia. Um, I've known her for a long time. She's the author of The Way Things Should Be by Bridie Jabal and her latest book, Trivial Grievances, um, which is a fantastic collection of essays, which I responded to as a millennial. Uh, <laughs> and Ben Riley, who's immediately to my left here. Um, ben is a Sydney-based Uh, writer and researcher interested in queer politics and culture, HIV and the legacy of the AIDS crisis. Um, Ben has worked as a journalist in the past and he works currently in public health. And we are all contributors to um, Black Ink's Growing Up in Country Australia, which is part of their series of books. We've got Growing Up Queer, Growing Up Disabled, um, Growing Up um, African in Australia, Growing Up Indigenous, and it's these kind of collection of stories from people all around the country talking to their particular um, worldview about the theme of the book. And I never thought that we would do a country one because I thought, are we really that different? Um, Turns out we are, and we're going to tell you all about that today. I might start with you, Farz, because you grew up in Daniliquin and then Mildura, but you never went to the Daniliquin Ute Muster, which is the wrong way of saying that. It's the Denny Ute Muster. That's very country of me. Um, why not? Oh, I know, to my great shame uh, and regrets, deep regrets. <laughs> um, yes, I did go to primary school in Denny, um, having first um, come to Australia when I was three from Iran and um, living in Brisbane for a little while. So then we moved to Denny. And I guess because my parents were maybe a bit more culturally conservative um, they took one look at <laughs> the posters for the Ute Muster and they were like, you know what, I don't think I want my uh, only daughter going to that. But oh, it looks like a great time. I'm, I still love cruises because of, uh, you know, the soft cultural influence that <laughs> the Ute Muster has. It's like putting the ABC into the Pacific, except it's yeah. cruises in exactly. Danilican and Mildura. Yeah. I love that. It's quite a path, Iran, Brisbane... Danilican. Um, you were really young when you got here, three. And do you remember anything about um, Iran before you left? I know you went back when you were older. Um, I had, I think when you're three, you don't, um, you know, I have a shocking memory. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can barely remember what I did last week, let alone 
when I was three. But um, let's start with Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was here. Uh, no, so I mean, I have like vague memories of spending time with my grandparents in um, Shiraz, where I was born, and where most of my family lives at the moment. But yeah, it did it did feel like a big uh, culture shock to go from Shiraz, which is a you know the second biggest um, city in Iran full of millions of people to Brisbane <laughs> uh, to then Denny. But I think when you're that age, you don't really have any conception of anything different. So You just roll with it. You just you? roll with it. And to me, I just thought, you know, everyone had that experience of living in a city, living in the country. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was the... shocked to realise when I went to uni that, no, other people had different experiences. I had the reverse experience when I first moved to the Gold Coast, which is where I met Bridie Jabour. Um, and I made a photographer drive through the city because I was like, I want to look at the, the tall buildings. So, like, I was obsessed. I'm like, look at all that glass. How do you reckon they get it up there? Um, and it was just like this whole new world. And I remember reading Chris, Chris Raj's book, Into the Suburbs. It's, um, <clears throat> he's from India. And when they moved to the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne, his parents and him were like, where did all the people go? Uh, which is such a strange, because like, if we, we moved to Boona when my parents divorced from the cattle station where we knew no one, and Boona had 3,000 people, and I thought it was a metropolis. Um, so there's like all these different, like the ways of like, um, I, I guess, the, the way the culture shock works. Um, Bridie, you grew up in Grafton, um, which is on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Um, I used to tell you all the time that I didn't think you really did grow up in the country, because Grafton doesn't count. Too close to the coast. Too close to the coast. But, I've got, I've got but an internal bias. the people from the actual coast are like, we're too country. We're not real coast. Yeah. We're not coasties. Because <laughs> we don't actually have a beach in Grafton. No. Yeah. You, you were half an hour away from Mini Water, which had a beach. Yes. Um, you're, uh, you were quite an interesting family in Grafton because your mum's Northern Irish and your dad's Lebanese. Um, and you've kind of got the best of both worlds in regional New South Wales there, maybe? Oh, yeah, man. I've got a real bad temper too. <laughs> <laughs> Irish Lebanese. <laughs> I was um, going to say eccentric, but <laughs> well, the, my so my dad was one of six, and and that's the Lebanese side of my family, and so it's a really big family. And his dad had been one of ten, and um, so I guess we thought it was very usual. Like we thought, and I think that we thought it was very cool. I think it's kind of like what Faz is saying: you don't know what you don't know. So at the time, nothing seemed particularly interesting or different to me. And also because of the way I look as well, my younger sister is a lot darker and a lot more Lebanese looking. So she did have a bit of a different experience to me as did my father. But for the most part, we just thought that we were from like one of the best countries in the world, Lebanese, like <laughs> Lebanon, the most smartest, interesting people with the best food. <laughs> and we were engrafted. And then, and also mum being from Northern Ireland, I noticed mum's difference probably quite a bit more because there, um, there was, interestingly, I think about three Lebanese families who migrated, who ended up in Grafton. So it wasn't that unusual to know yeah. other Lebanese families in the town, but there was no other Irish people and certainly no one from Northern Ireland. Um, when I was growing up, the Troubles were still going on, so that was basically all that people knew about dairy and also nobody could understand my mother and still can't. No, they still can't. <laughs> Her, like, it's not that lovely lilting leprechaun accent. That's from the South. The North is so thick that I still have trouble with her yes. sometimes. So, yeah, I probably noticed her difference a bit more. But for the most part, I don't think we – I thought about it that much or realised how um, maybe eccentric 
and unique, unique's maybe a better word, my family were until after I left Grafton and had yeah. a bit of distance. Because it was so unlike, when I first met them, I was 19, 20, and it was so unlike every family that I had grown up with in white as the driven snow regional Queensland, where everyone was like three kids, maybe, maybe two, maybe four, farmers, perhaps, and not a lot of, like, fun food to so, eat. Yeah, so we have all the Lebanese food and stuff, but also we had, so we had a three-bedroom house, there were five kids, there were seven of us. At one point when I was in year 12, the occupants of my home swelled <laughs> to 13 people. And that was all various cousins and their kids and partners moving in. And that was extremely usual in my upbringing. <laughs> and my brother and I got so jack of it when we were 16, when I was 16 and he was 14, that we spent an entire weekend cleaning out the shed and moved our beds over there to move out of the house because we were so sick of all the cousins and all the other people. And we'd also have friends come and stay for entire school holidays. And our parents would never ask how long they were staying for. And the parents of those friends wouldn't ask. Like, they no. would just come for it. It was just what our house was like, a lot of people around. But when my dad saw our setup in the shed, he thought it was so good that he also moved over <laughs> to the shed. <laughs> and so for the last couple of years, it was me, my dad and my brother living in the shed and we made like walls with wardrobes. <laughs> Peace at last in the Clarence River. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, ben, uh, what's your cultural background? Uh, <laughs> um, I very just generic English yep. uh, migrant on my dad's side and Dutch on my mum's side, which anyone who sees me uh, standing at six foot six uh, <laughs> could probably take a wild stab at and see. Um, so I think, I mean, my dad, we never had much of a connection to his family background on his side, but definitely thinking, I mean, it's a very different migrant experience, obviously being from kind of the widest migrant background you can be from, um, but certainly growing up Dutch in a country town as my mum did in Traralgon in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria was hugely influential uh, for her. And I think that a lot of that filtered down to us as well. Um, and I think it, part of that experience was why it has taken me a long time as an adult to understand my kind of class status. Because we, yeah. we, we grew up fairly um, poor, but never identified culturally as working class. And I think a lot of that had to do with, uh, with my mum's uh, migrant background. Yeah, because she's an artist, right? She is, yeah. yeah. So you took a different approach to a lot of the essays in this book, which I loved, because you essentially went back to Wodonga. I did, which is where I grew up in with the, northeast Victoria. With the intention, I love that it's just Wodonga, obviously. It's not Albury Wodonga. There's well, look, that's... It's, <laughs> there's a lot I, going on there. Yeah, look, I, as I always say, if, you know if someone's from Albury or Wodonga because if they say that they're from uh, Albury, they say they're from Albury. If they say they're from... If they're from Wodonga, they say they're from Albury Wodonga, <laughs> um, which tells you something about which side of the river has more um, shame about where, they're, <laughs> about where they live. Um, uh, Yes. But you wanted to go back and re-interrogate um, whether you actually had the upbringing you thought you had. You thought you had a pretty shit time occasionally? Yeah, I did. Look, Not the, to put too fine a point on it, the um, narrative I'd built for myself uh, as an adult was that I had a terrible childhood <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, growing up as a gay kid in a country town particularly and uh, decided in writing my piece that I go... What if I go back and ask my mum whether I actually did have a bad childhood? Um, which I'm not sure if... She's a vested interest in that. Yeah, look, she, she does. Uh, I spoke to my, my brothers as well and a friend, and it turns out that interviewing your family and friends about whether or not uh, you had a shit childhood is kind of an intense 
thing to do. Um, <laughs> uh, so subsequently had a total breakdown uh, that it took me a while to put myself back, back together afterwards because the, the answers were, like, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> We've laughed about this privately before, <laughs> so it's okay to laugh. You're doing great. Yes, please laugh at my trauma. Yeah. I, uh, I invite you. That's how I get through, basically. It's like, have a joke. Faz, did you, I mean, when you were growing up, did you, were you particularly aware of your family being different? Um, because it kind of you know, you were eating Persian food on your long road trips, which I love. Um, and it was, you know, there's lots of, you know, customs, I guess, were all completely out of shape. Did it bother you or were you just kind of like, yeah, this is sick? Yeah, I just responded quickly to Ben's mm. story. I did really appreciate that about how you <laughs> you went back to, to fact check some things about your childhood and I'm very sorry about your breakdown <laughs> um, if you want to unpack anything with us later we could do that but um, because my memory of it of growing up now is that I yeah I was very aware of uh, feeling different probably more so when I lived in Mildura because I think sort of just as I moved I like just hit puberty as well so I was way more aware of my body and how I was like hairier than the other girls and how I had like <laughs> dark, dark hair on my arms whereas all the other blonde, um, blonde girls at, in high school didn't have that. So, but maybe not so much in Denny, in Daniloquin because when I was a bit younger back then, um, you know, up until I was like about 13, like I said before, I just kind of went along with it. I didn't know any different. Yes, my family. I think it's, it's only when your family kind of <laughs> interacts with the world <laughs> at the outside of your home. And um, my experience is very different to Bridie's because um, there was just really the, the three of us. So my parents and me, because I'm an only child. Um, and both my parents are quite like, they're quite introverted. So we didn't really kind of make that many family, friends or know that many people, although we did eventually. Um, but, yeah, it was only kind of when, you know, you'd go out, you'd have meetups with some of my non-Iranian friends that the differences would really kind of make themselves clear. And I was like, oh, okay, so not everyone's mum packs a full sort of <laughs> container of lunch, uh, you know, just when you're going out for like a quick coffee because you don't want to actually buy a coffee. <laughs> you have to have tea or coffee that, that you've made. So, yeah. That's true. That's, I think, so true that if you don't know that something's not normal, if you like, I think that the reason that I thought everyone was like I was is because I was in such a big family mm. and there's so many of us. And so we're reinforcing for each other, like, Everyone behaves like this. Everyone lives in the shed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every, like, everyone has a mother who, like, is terrified to leave the veranda at night because she's still scared of Australian snakes and spiders. So when she's going to smack you, you just run into the yard and she stands on the veranda <laughs> screaming at you. Like, this is normal. This is what we're all doing. Like, and when there's a lot of you, and also I had so many cousins mm. and aunts and uncles, it all reinforces as your little world. So you had your real... Well, everyone probably has this realisation because really what is a no, like normal family? But mm. you kind of notice the differences 
when you're a teenager. I didn't mm. notice until I was like in my 20s. <laughs> I had to like leave Grafton to, and be away for years before I finally started thinking, ah. Oh. It sounded like um, from your story that, you know, your mum was so well known in Grafton as well. Like, Yeah, exactly. Did you think that kind of... Well, it builds a sense that, of community. Yeah. And also because my, my father's side, there were so many of them and they knew a lot of people and they'd gone to school there, so that builds community. Mm. But my mum was a midwife, for everyone who hasn't read the story, and um, if you're a midwife in a small town, it's a good way to get to know a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and so she'd like delivered everyone's babies and so it was and because it's a small town they would see her all the time and it was so like every time we went down the street it was so annoying for us but you know women would stop her and talk to her about how amazing she was she's a really good midwife and they're like you brought my baby into the world and you did this thank you so much you're so wonderful it's just like the most tedious chat in the world for the, <laughs> for the kids but I really after I had my own kids I really understood that because I had my um, two sons in Sydney, and if I saw that first midwife, anyway, she's like a god to me now. Like, I, w- I would be hugging her, I would be emotional, I'd be telling her how amazing she is, and she got that baby out. So, but because, yeah, so I understand why people were so affectionate and felt so intimate with my mother. Um, but yeah, but it also built like the sense of community and being part of something because randoms are, know your mum's name and are stopping her in the street all the time. She was like Madonna almost in Grafton. <laughs> wow. Yeah, look, I wouldn't say I was from a cool celebrity family <laughs> like Friday uh, was, but I definitely relate to that experience as well of even the idea of thinking about myself as someone from the country is not a, a sense I had until I moved to Melbourne from there and like that's how I was framed to everyone. I remember on the first day of uni, I went to Melbourne Uni, so it was a real like culture shock going from uh, like a shitty town, regional centre to. Um, sorry if there's anyone yeah, here from Auburn. <laughs> um, it's probably I really, okay. I mean, I, I really do hate the place, but if you, <laughs> if you like it, then I'm really that's that's fine. I I appreciate your experience. Um, but I remember on the first day of uni, for some reason, in the orientation session, they asked all the kids from the country to stand up oh. so that they <laughs> could. God. Be, wow. So that we could be like taken on a separate. I would have loved tour. it. I'm like, I'm a celebrity here as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt like a massive dweeb. But yeah. So definitely, other people thought that I was from the country. Well, I mean, what was the? I mean, we talked very broad terms about reinterrogating your childhood. Why was it bad? Like, <laughs> like I mean, you don't have to go into specifics about events or anything like that. But I mean, did you have a general unease? about who you were as a person, Ben, let's be honest. Um, yeah, I, I think a, a general... It's so hard to dis, disentangle this stuff from being a gay kid, I think, because that, that informs so much of it. And even before I had an awareness of that, I think most queer people sort of have a sense of difference from a very early age. Um, I think a general sense of kind of alienation and whether that was due to my queerness or due to our kind of class position in the town or... You know, my mum was a hippie, so that was always a kind of point of difference. Uh, I never felt like my aspirations were similar to the people around me. I never uh, uh, wanted to be like someone who felt really attached to living in Wodonga. I never saw a future there. But it is really, it's hard to articulate. So you wouldn't move back to Wodonga now, is what I'm hearing? No, I wouldn't, but this is something I think about a lot because I have, I have a much younger sister. She's my half-sister. She's um, <clears throat> 22. 
Uh, and I didn't. I was a bit wary of talking to her about my shit, shit childhood in the story, so I, I didn't <laughs> interview her. But um, she really loves it there, and she really wants to uh, stay there. Um, she moved to Melbourne briefly for uni and, and has now gone back or spent most of her time there because of COVID. Um, and she weirdly has the reverse thing where she's ashamed that she doesn't want to go and live in the city. Um, and it's such a different experience. I used to, when I was in, you know, Boona and I was in high school and I started developing ambitions for myself and I used to see people who are now around my age moving back to Boona who grew up there and in my head... I was like, well, they failed. Like, they set out and they failed. And now I so want to go home. <laughs> like, I'm done with the city. I don't know if anyone else... I mean, would you guys go back? I think so many people have moved back to country towns. Right? It's funny you mentioned Wodonga because I was just there um, about a month ago. How, was it as bad as Ben remembers? <laughs> Well, there is an amazing new Harris farm, but although across the border in Aubrey. They're all very excited. <laughs> Everyone's, it's the talk of the town, the mechanical strawberry. If you've uh, had a round on the mechanical strawberry, you know what I'm talking about. It's very exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was visiting a friend who grew up in the region and she's just moved back and started working at the local council and her partner's a teacher there. Um, and she loves it. And I can completely see the appeal of wanting to move back and be closer to, to family. I think the only reason why I wouldn't move back to Mildura is that I don't have anyone there. My no. parents live in Canberra now, so would, even would worse. <laughs> 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 there are probably people from Canberra here, so um, we love Canberra. No, so I love it's a, Canberra. It's a city in the round. Yeah. Um, would you move anywhere else in country Australia? Like, is it like a lifestyle thing that you could consider? I'm fascinated by this question. Yeah, I think... What's, yeah, to throw I, the question back at you... Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you are. Um, no, no, I mean, I don't think I could do it if I didn't have a partner. Like, right. I think if I had a long-term partner, I could do it because all I want is to just, like, go and write my silly books yeah. um, and not pay attention to the news anymore <laughs> and escape, which is kind of what it's great for, right? But I couldn't do it alone, I don't think. I would go mad. Yeah, well, I have or a partner who grew up in Lismore yeah. and I don't think she wants to move back there. And so I think if the two of you aren't really sort of yep. keen on living, not going back, yeah, it's not, not really happening. There's just so much I feel like I missed out on, uh, you know, living in this, the city. This just feels really yeah. anti, this panel. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I don't want to... I can understand the impulse to want to move like I I will never move back to Grafton or anywhere in the country but like I love but I love the city I love going like the reason it would work for Rick is I love going out I love going to parties I love going to restaurants I love being like all that stuff that is good about living in the city and why we pay the exorbitant rents and put up with you know, a lot of all the traffic and a lot of shit is because we have those good parts which Rick does not take advantage of at no. all. He basically just comes to my house and that's it. Yeah. But, I, but the thing is, people who want to move back or who do move back, or, and the reason people stay there and enjoy living in the country is because for the most part, that's where they find their community. And that's, where, that's why we're happy, you know, in the city because, you know, we've found our communities in the city, different kinds of communities. I've certainly found, felt like I found my community here. You guys, for different reasons, I'm sure, have felt that as well. And just as equally, there's other people who find those communities in the country. And if you find community in the country, it can be, you know, great 
a great source of happiness and joy and all the good stuff in life. So I understand the appeal, but no, not for me. <laughs> I mean, do you think that there are particular reasons why some people might find that community in the country or, or not? Well, I think a lot of it depends on the kind of lifestyle that appeals to them. I don't, I don't think that, like, all people of colour or all queer people or whatever live in the city. There are certainly queer communities in the country. I think that you have to want a certain type of lifestyle as well. Like, you know, for me, enjoying all the busy parts of the city and so you, I find other like-minded people like that who want to I'd have like those to, I'd like to grow tomatoes. You like, want to grow tomatoes? Just grow tomatoes. People who enjoy out the outdoors and being close to nature and that kind of thing, like, and then you find other people like that in the country. <laughs> people enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> she said it so quizzically. I I've never been to... camping and I will never go camping. No, no, I, no, no. I, will, I will go for a walk, but I won't camp. Like, I will go for a hike and I will get a cabin, but I won't camp. Camping, camping is something middle-class people do. Um, <laughs> I agree. a hot take. I agree about community, though. Like, if, if all my close friends were to move to the yeah. same region, I yeah. won't even ask for the same town, even just the same region. Yeah, I would definitely consider that. Because that's all then, the best stuff of life, right? Yeah. Your human connections. So where your human connections are, then that's probably where you'll be happy. Mm. I, so, so the collection growing up in country Australia, there, like everyone's views are different. There's lots of people who love the country and people who are like, I would never go back. Um, and it's, it's kind of aimed at getting into the kind of like the, the sinew of what it's actually like and there's lots of different experiences. But I, I want to be a bit cheap just for two seconds because I'm vaudeville at heart. Um, what's the most country thing you've ever seen? Um, I feel like maybe, Bridie, I should ask you about the Spice Girls coming to Grafton, but... <laughs> um, what is... The most country thing I've ever seen is really my Uncle Andrew, <laughs> which this... That's a joke just for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I can't describe him, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But no, yeah, no, the do. second most country thing I've ever seen is um, the Spice Girls coming to Grafton RSL. <laughs> but it was the fake Spice Girls, but we treated them like they were the real Spice Girls because no one and like no bands or anything ever came to Grafton, obviously. And so, like, I took them stuff for them to sign that were like pictures and posters and books of the real Spice Girls, <laughs> and they signed them for me. And they performed all the songs, and we were so into it. Like, and it was, the lead up, we talked about it probably for months, and we had our special outfits and stuff. And it was like the event of the year was the fake Spice Girls. Grafton Harris. <laughs> how closely did they look like the real Spice yeah. Girls? Like how off-brand? In my mind, it? pretty close. In my okay. mind, they did well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this is the memory of like, you know, I was um, like nine at the time or something. And so, yeah, they blew my mind at nine. I don't know what I would think if I saw them today. <laughs> I wouldn't you to track down the members of that fake Spice Girls group. And be like, where are they now? Yeah, because they did a big national tour. Like they, it, it was they went to a lot of regional RSLs. That was their whole thing, going to regional RSLs. Were they officially sanctioned by the Spice Girls brand? I doubt it. Yeah, but that was this is pre-internet, so probably no lawyers are like chasing them around in no. Australia to see what people are doing at Grafton. <laughs> Mel RSL. B flies to Grafton. Like I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, Faz, it's a very broad question, but. Is there something that kind of sticks in your mind and been like, oh, God, yeah, no, I'm in the country? I think in general it's just that thing of, and to generalise for a second, um, it's that thing of walking down the street and people smiling at you, (laughs) which when you do that here in Sydney, you get a lot of looks sometimes. (laughs) I'm like... 
Hey. <laughs> hey, hello, how are you? Um, people always make fun of me for asking people how they are on the street. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is, that's, that's a choice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you saying I should start? No, no, I'm just saying, like, I mean, because you kind of fit in once you move to Sydney, right? You kind of, I stopped doing yeah. that. Um, I started walking faster oh. and, like, doing everything faster because everyone's in a rush. I remember when I first moved here, I had to start work in down near the harbour and I caught the train to Wynyard every morning and one day I was going to work and there was a woman, like an, she was like in her 70s or 80s and she was, had one of those trolleys and it was, had an entire carton of beer on it, I swear to God, and she was outrunning me. <laughs> and I just remember, I'm like, this place is too fast. <laughs> There's too much going on here. But like I, I started feeling like that, but like I, you know, I smile at people but I don't ask them how they're going. Yeah, well... Maybe you should. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I'll give it a go. <laughs> that is, I, was, I was just, before you even said that, I was just thinking mm. how country that thing is. Because when I was in Grafton two months ago, I was walking down the street with mum and she said to a stranger, I love your dress. You look beautiful. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Oh, my God. I was just like, you freak. <laughs> but it is a real country thing. Yeah. And I notice it a lot when my mum and dad are in Sydney, like how friendly they will be to um, randoms in the street and service staff and all that and like actually go in for the good old chat. And I'm like, you're going to get shot in the head for holding up the coffee queue cards. Yes. <laughs> Whenever I go home to Boona, there's one day of readjustment where like I go to get coffee uptown. And it's, it's good coffee nowadays, so don't believe the lies. Um, but I went there and it's just like, it's like they're moving through molasses. And I'm sitting there going, what the fuck, I just want coffee. And then like immediately I'm like, why? What matters? Nothing matters. Like we're here, it's beautiful, the day is like, there's no huge line. And I'm just like, I start to chill out. Um, it, did you have time to think of something really country, Ben? Uh, well, we, we grew up in the town, so I think it, sometimes it feels like quite a different experience. Country's to, a state of mind. <laughs> well, the kind of regional, rural thing, I think, sometimes is a, uh, can be quite a distinction. But when I moved to Melbourne, there were definitely things that I didn't think were country things until I talked to someone about it, and they were like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And one of them was dead balls. Oh, my God. Yes! <laughs> I remember bringing it up. As if it was just this to this thing that everyone did, and no one I mean, had any idea. I'm what sure I was it was about. in the 50s. If we've got anyone here from that vintage, but it kind of like it stripped out from the cities, and it just stayed in the country. Yeah. Do people know what a dead ball is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have some dead ball fans in the house. <laughs> when at the Guardian, at Guardian Australia, when they found out I did my dead ball. <laughs> They put my photo on the website in the dress and made me write about it because they all thought it was such a freak thing. I love that you call everything a freak thing. That's so beautiful. <laughs> we believe freak, let your freak flag fly. Um, I, I, I wrote about mine in the introduction to this book, but I remember when I'd, I'd blown up my cadetship at the Gold Coast Bulletin and then moved unceremoniously back to Boona at like the age of 21 and got a job at my local paper. And I just wrote whatever. I wrote anything that happened, like human interest stories, council, whatever. And one day I was in the office and this guy comes in with this enormous pawpaw. Like, it is the biggest pawpaw I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, and he just puts it on the bench and he looks at me and I go, Oof. and he's like, well, are you going to write about it? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I guess I'd better. You're here. It was 4.3 kilograms. That's um, bigger than a baby. Well, see, I wouldn't have known that. Um, although, I've, no, I won't say that. <laughs> um, 
been a long day, everyone. I don't know if you can tell. We're getting a bit ratty up here, aren't we? Um, it was enormous, but I wrote it and it ran in the paper. And like the, the local paper is like such an institution in Boona where I grew up. And like people read it and they were excited for the man. And I think they should have been because he didn't put any effort into it. He's just like, the tree had a fluke. Um, and we celebrated it. Isn't that nice? It's very nice. Yeah. I love when things blow up like that, like in a country town, like something like that. You know, it's ripple. It's big news. Yeah. Like when Russell Crowe, speaking of um, musicians, came to town, when Russell Crowe came to Mildura to play 40 odd foot of grunts, <laughs> oh, I, I did not go, but I heard it from, <laughs> from down the street. We just want people to pay us attention, I think. It's like, oh, Russell Dane to come to Denny or Mildura, whichever one you were at at the time. Um, I, I'm sure uh, Agatha Christie came to Boona in like the 1900s. What? Really? Yeah, she stayed at one of the homesteads outside of town and there's a tree there. Everyone still knows it. I know it. I'm 35. I'm like, Agatha Christie came to Boona. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Russell Crowe came to Grafton when he was dating Meg Ryan and they drove around in a red convertible. <laughs> <laughs> we put that in the paper. Yeah. And it was all anyone talked about for like weeks after because everyone knew someone who saw them because they drove down the main street and they had a red convertible so people looked and they went into like a couple of shops so everyone knew someone like, you know, my, my cousin's girlfriend served him in a shop. They said this, like, everyone was telling stories for weeks afterwards. Pink came to Boona, the singer, Pink. Why did um, she come to Boona? Because her husband, Kerry, or part, long-term partner, is a motocross rider, and one of the boys who grew up in Boona had a motocross track there, and he was part of the Krusty Demons. Um, and so Kerry came out with Pink while she was doing her tours in Queensland just to ride his bike, and she came to Flavors Cafe. Um, it was huge. Um, it's the biggest thing that happened in a long time. Um, when I was in year 10, we got a subway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line of the day. <laughs> it was very exciting. It wouldn't, no, I, I remember when we got an Eagle Boys. Like, that was the first fast, proper fast food that Boona ever got. Mm. Um, subway is kind of like, it's kind of like you want fast food and then you get a subway and it's like being given like a slap on the face almost, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was the best thing that happened to us in years. Yeah. Did you go there? Like, Because they were doing the loyalty stance at that point, weren't they? Oh, I probably didn't I know that because that's how I survived my friendship. <laughs> it was around the corner from my school, so yeah, yeah I did go there a bit. <laughs> my mum wouldn't let me go to Subway, oh. but she made, you know how at the, I want to say trough, but it's not a trough, you know, like the, what do you call it? <laughs> the Bay The Bay oh. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, you know how there's, like, the different sort of foods to pick? She would, like, set that up oh at God. our kitchen table and basically replicate a Subway in our house so that I wouldn't be tempted to really go out and That's buy it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, you're, I think, so I've got, like, a real chip on my shoulder about food because, like, I grew up in... Like, my mum's amazing, right? But, like, can't cook. <laughs> Cannot cook. Great with a dessert. Can't cook. And, like, growing up on a cattle station, we just slaughtered a cow once every... It was a bullock, sorry. Slaughtered a bullock once every month, and then we ate every bit of meat on it in the worst ways possible. Like, we just burnt it. And it's, like, <laughs> it's ready. It's like a brick. Um, and then when my parents divorced, mum couldn't cook, so she just, like, it was, like, chops with some steamed veggies. The veggies looked like they'd had the life sucked out of them. Um, and then me and my brother, like, ate pizza pockets and fish fingers and whatever... Just because mum's just like, I, whatever. Like, I've, I've done all the other sacrifices. So it got to the point where I couldn't cook at all. And when I moved to the Gold Coast, I used to go to the KFC so much that they started giving me a $1 discount. 
<laughs> they didn't have a program for loyalty discounts. <laughs> that was just for me. And it's like, and the reason why I thought that was an option was because when we lived in Boona, we didn't have fast food. And whenever we went to Ipswich to get something done, um, which was like maybe once every month, um, we were to get KFC as a treat. And so KFC was a treat. And I'm like, well, KFC is what I know. It's cheap. I can afford to feed myself with that. Mm. And then I started getting a loyalty bonus. And then it was not a good long-term solution, basically, is what I'm saying. So it's like this kind of little cultural thing that I didn't understand about how to feed myself. Are you a, are you a good cook now, Ben? Or? Uh, no. No. <laughs> so sure. you never quite got there? Were your I mean, parents? I would like to say that I can, but I choose not to. There's um, just a kind of a real kind of like honest fare about country food sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we ate similar stuff. I, God, there's no way my mum is here, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll tell the story. But, um, I think they put it on the podcast it, later. Oh, God. Uh, it probably took me till about my mid to late 20s to realise that my mum was a bad cook. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I guess it was because there weren't many exciting food options in Wodonga. That might have been part of it. But yeah, it was a lot of like steamed veggies with no flavour, with no, no like seasoning or right. anything and a sausage. I, I can promise you there were flavours in Wodonga. Your mum just wasn't using <laughs> Yeah, sure, yes. <laughs> and they're probably worried, but my mum still to this day can't eat anything even mildly spicy, or refuses, I should say. I'm sure she can. I've tried. But, um, but because of that, we just never tried anything. So it was like I remember having Indian for the first time on the Gold Coast, and I was just like, what? This is incredible. And fighting with someone in Sydney at a shopping centre when I was 18 trying sushi for the first time. Mm. Um, but, you know, these are the things we have to get over. <laughs> um, I, it's quite interesting to me because there's obviously a lot of people moving from the city at the moment. Um, over the last two years, and like you talked, I did an event for this book in Castlemaine, which is how you have to pronounce it. I would have said Castlemaine, um, but everyone there was like, I give like, like forty percent of them won't be able to hack it. Like they'll last two years, they'll just like go crazy because of the silence, and then they'll leave. So look, it goes both ways, I guess. But um, you, um, <laughs> I was going to ask you something else then, but I won't. I'm being good. I'm being well behaved. Faz, I mean, thanks for the inner monologue. Yeah, I know. I know this is, <laughs> I'm doing this more now and more. Now I kind of want to know what you're going to ask. But. Yeah. Um, I started talking to myself a lot during lockdown. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. Um, well, now you've made me forget what I was going to ask. Um, no. Oh, sorry. Fars. Yes. I was gonna, were there any of that? When you like, moved to town, big town, yeah. uh, to do uni and then start work and whatnot, were there any of those things that you didn't quite get, uh, you know, doing the transition? Yeah, well, even moving from Denny to Mildura, I remember I had this moment where I realised traffic lights were a thing. <laughs> I'd forgotten about them because Denny, I don't know if they have any traffic lights at the moment, but at the time there were no traffic lights. Um, but it's funny, you remember su you say sushi. Yeah. It's such a specific food, but I also remember the first time I had sushi when I moved to Canberra for uni and I just... <laughs> I imagine this is how white people feel, feel <laughs> with, uh, different kinds of foods in general. But I was like, how do I use the chopsticks? And like, I just had never really had much, um, yeah, Japanese or different kinds of Asian foods growing up. You know, there's been a lot written about like that one Chinese restaurant in country towns. Yep. Um, and, you know, I know Jennifer Wong has done that whole beautiful series on that, but... Um, so I was familiar with Chinese food, but yeah, sushi. Even, uh, even the Chinese food I was not overly familiar with because our Chinese in town offered three-quarter chicken and chips for those people who couldn't quite come at the lemon chicken, um, which was me. 
for a long time. It's a bit like the butter chicken option at Indian. Yeah. Yeah, um, takeaways. Yeah. I, was like, mm. I think sushi must be such a specific memory for so many people from the country of our <laughs> generation because I remember very clearly the first time I tried sushi on the Gold Coast as well. <laughs> My friend brought it home from work because she worked at the convention centre and they, it was their leftovers. But it's so mm. funny that it's something we all remember really specifically. There's also another story about Japanese on the Gold Coast that is like a very neat illustration of Rick and I's personalities and different approaches to life. I'm interested to hear this. Where he went to a Japanese, like there was Japanese restaurants on the Gold Coast. We both moved from the country to the Gold Coast. And this was separately, but Rick got taken to this Japanese restaurant. There was chopsticks. He had no, he had never encountered them before, had no idea how to use them, didn't know what to do. So instead he sat there the whole night and didn't eat anything. I, I starved. Yeah. I went to, was taken to a Japanese restaurant, saw the chopsticks, everything, didn't know how to use it, and just asked someone for a fork. Yeah. <laughs> I just... And that's how I solved it. It's a, I think it says a lot about our approach. I mean, I, this, uh, this, this is going to sound worse than it is meant, but you've got an unreasonable confidence, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I've always had the right amount of shame. <laughs> yeah, I do need a little bit more. <laughs> I'm with Rick. When I first started, when I moved to Sydney about five years ago and I started my first job at ABC here, I just was too ashamed to ask for where the bathroom was in yes. Ultimo. So I just didn't go to the bathroom all day. <laughs> oh, my God. I just, like, sat at the desk and had no... So, yeah, I'm, I'm very simple. We've got to I speak up. No, I would have done the same thing. Mm. Um, we, we're getting... I'm sure we're learning. Um, hold that thought, Ben. Um, we are going to ask some audience questions, by the way, and I just... I should have given you a warning earlier, but if you start thinking of anything that you'd like to ask, please feel free to come up to any of these microphones at the front of the stage, to the left and right of the stage. Um, but we'll just keep rambling on if you don't have any questions. So feel free to walk up at any point and I'll hunt you down um, and ask you something nice. Um, there's a lot of stories. The one thing that overwhelmed me about this collection, editing this collection, was how many submissions there were about the country school bus. Um, which I had forgot, I kind of blocked it out because I remember moving from the cattle station to Boona, so from li like literally, you know, three people on a 1,000 square kilometre property to a town of 3,000 having to catch a school bus. It was terrifying, like absolutely terrifying to me. And it was bedlam. Like there was this, you know, there was this crazy hierarchy. I was going to say there's such a specific hierarchy on the school bus. <laughs> well, I don't know if I told, because we were talking about this, but there was one submission which I couldn't print because it was like more of a diagram. But this kid, um, someone had submitted to the collection, like one of those seating diagrams when you choose your seat on a plane and you get to be like, oh yeah, I'll do 12B. But he'd done that for the school bus and with a whole algorithm, like an equation mm based on how cool you are, how old you are, and how willing you are to misbehave, <laughs> among other things, and, based, and then figured out where you got to sit on the bus. And, like, that would have been so useful to me growing up because I was just, like, <laughs> up the front going, if I don't talk, maybe I'm not here. Um, anyway, I just sort of... I, I've got more people up to the microphones than I thought. So, um, uh, I would, oh, OK, yes, I'll go with you. Hello. Hi there. Um, I grew up in the country pre-internet, a long time um, pre-internet. That's all right. Yeah. But I wondered about whether the experience of growing up in the country is so different now. So whether it has the same kind of meaning in terms of the difference, because you've got now people growing up in the country have such access to city things. And so even if you don't actually haven't seen chopsticks in person, you will yeah. have seen people use chopsticks. And I wonder just about whether what this book would look like in 10 years' time and how different it might be 
compared to your growing up? That's a great question. I mean, just for the record, we had to sign a petition in Boona to get broadband because Telstra didn't believe enough people would use it. Um, and it, we didn't get it until the year I left, which was 2004. I grew up in a town that didn't have McDonald's until I left, and I was pretty devastated. Yeah. It's, you wear that quite heavily. Yeah, yeah, but, I did. I did, yeah, yeah. Still angry about it. On the, on the station, I did School of Distance Education over the wireless radio, and now they all do it via the internet and sometimes they even have enough stable connection to do a video call. Um, and I personally think that's cheating. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, well, you've got, you've got access to the whole world. I had to download pictures of good-looking men at, like, a really slow rate. <laughs> like, sometimes it wouldn't even get to here before, like, the phone rang and the dial-up cancelled. So, yeah. I, I wondered I, that a lot, you know, because a yeah. big part of um, the... Like my country upbringing, especially in my teenage years, was this feeling of like being on the edge of the world, so far away from the action, in the most boring town in the world. And I really feel that that boredom fueled a lot of cre creativity in me. Yeah. I think that boredom fuels creativity at um, you know all different points of our life, and it is, it is a good way to get things done. And I think I would have been a completely different person in adulthood, and maybe even had different jobs if I hadn't been so freaking bored in my teenage years and then filled that boredom with writing and reading and all those kinds of things. And if I had the internet, I think it would have been different. But I also think if I had, the, what I think about it, because clothes was such an obsession in Grafton because all we had was the Just Jeans and JJ's. That's more than we had. <laughs> and so everyone wore the same thing. And so it was like quite hard to be individual. And then like surf brands, but not very many people could afford those one, those and so we all wore the same thing so it was really everyone was obsessed with clothes we, and when people got to go to Coffs Harbour to go to the Supre that was a big event and I think <laughs> I think now wow imagine having ASOS and being able to have different outfits delivered to you in the country and being able to express your personality a bit more or develop your taste a bit more however when I was in Grafton in January all the teenagers were dressed like shit so, maybe it hasn't helped. It, so Are they dressed like shit or is it just that we have aged out of yeah. No, they were, all wearing, they were all wearing the cotton on. So, there's um. cotton on in Grafton now and they were all just wearing the same outfits from cotton on. <laughs> I mean, I, have a, I mentioned my sister earlier and there's a, like... 12, 13 year gap between us, so I like to think I have some insight into what kids are doing these days. But I mean, while she has way more access to, to social media and the internet than, than we ever did, I think still moving to Melbourne for her, the defining experience of that was that she wasn't from the city and that she had, she'd had to come there from elsewhere. Um, so I, I imagine that having to move somewhere else is always going to be a defining think, part of Yeah, you've still got your material reality, right? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of it's class, right? Do you have a thought on that, Paz? Mm, I do think, though, that you... In this era, you do have... Yeah, I think it's such a good question because you do have greater access to... You know, particularly on TikTok, I see... Back when I had it, I've had to delete it because it's too much. <laughs> yeah. um, but... You know, you see people even in remote communities, yeah. you know, in Australia posting their videos or dance moves and there's just so much greater levels of connection. So I do think it would be much easier to feel seen or, you know, have access to different kind of communities. Yeah. Find your handsome men I, I, online. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I said any of those things. But, um, <laughs> Rick. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> no, okay, I was going to say something filthy. Yeah, no, don't. Um, you know too much. <laughs> Hello. 
Hi, you um, don't know too much. You can ask a question. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your talk today. Um, I grew up just north of Albury, actually, in a town <laughs> called Girardgery. Um, and for my honours thesis, I wrote about uh, country girls that had moved to the city for university. Um, and a lot of them spoke about how the kind of physical... Um, even like the atmosphere of the country contributed a lot to their sense of place, like the sounds and the, the smells and so on. Um, I know you've spoken a bit about how people create that community, but I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about how those spaces created community or a sense of belonging for you. That's so good. I'll just very briefly say, because I want to hear everyone else, but like the main thread throughout this whole collection is place. It's so strong. Um, that's always been like my connection First in the cattle station and in Boona, like when you go home, there's this giant kind of twisted tree that's been damaged over the years, but it's extremely tall and it's been there the entire time I can remember. And it's in the foothills of the Great Divide and it's kind of like the humidity in summer with the storms rolling over. Like that's how I spent my entire summer. So there was nothing else to do. So I just watched lightning, literally like the song, um, except there were no cane fields. So, but it's like, it was a huge thing for me and I still get that feeling when I go home. I don't know if you feel the same way, but... I mean, I think because I have spent most of my adult life trying to put so much distance between myself and, and where I grew up, I forget sometimes when I go back that I just know Wodonga really well yeah. as a place and I can walk around and I know where everything is and it's not a small town, but it, it's, I think it's in my bones more than I might like to admit that yeah. it is. <laughs> Friday? I think being outside um, informed a huge part of my childhood and I, you know, I spoke before about how many people were in my house. <laughs> because of that as well, we were never actually in the house and I grew up outside of town, so out in country proper, and we were under the house, in the yard, up trees, like always outside, in the fresh air, being incredibly physical. And I think that uh, that is, you know, I haven't actually thought very deeply about it, but when you start talking about it, I think it obviously has informed me to quite a big degree, that feeling of um, fresh air and open spaces and, you know, unlimited possibility, I guess, plays into it as well. Seeing the horizon's nice. Yeah, seeing the horizon and the stars and, yeah, feeling part. I think that I spoke about, yeah, the community of people and feeling part of a community, but I think when you're outside that much as well, then you're feeling part of nature too, which is obviously something that First Nations people know a hell of a lot about when it comes to this country too. I once stumbled through an answer about that when Melissa Lukashenko was on stage and I was trying to be like, I really love the connection I have to country while being annoying and white, being like, not as much as you. And she's like, <laughs> You're, we want you to love the land. She's like, if you treat it well, we welcome you to the land. Like, that's what we're trying to get across to you people. Like, it's spiritual. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. Um, Faz, did you... Yeah, I want to hear more about your thesis. That sounds mm. really interesting. Um, and I think there's an acknowledgement as well, you know, as a migrant, I'm also a settler. And so, yeah, I just, I think I need to take that in mind where I always think about connections that, like you say, Indigenous people have to country. But for me, it's the river. Um, uh, obviously, Sydney is so blessed by a beautiful ocean, but going back to Wodonga, Recently, we went for a swim um, on a cold afternoon in the Murray, and that's the same Murray River that, um, you know, I grew up with, and it's such a different feeling. And I can't remember being a kid, and one pastime would just be getting a tire and, yeah, like, and floating tubing, tubing yeah, down yeah. the river, <laughs> and it kind of, like, all came flooding back when 
we were there in Aubrey, but yeah, I think it's the river. God, I haven't thought it was, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in years. It was the same. We huge, huge amount of tube. Um, we had to, like the tractor tire tubes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> really? that's so good. Um, hello, sir. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks very much for your talk. Uh, I also grew up in the country. Um, the interesting things is that in the high school I went to in the country town, everyone who finished the high school study left the town. Um, I was very pleased to leave the town because I was I had a large family. The family had been in the town for a long period of time. If I said my name to anyone, they knew my entire history. They knew everything about me. They knew the whole story. Yeah. I was so pleased to move to the city where I'm anonymous. Um, I live in the same suburb and I live in the same house. I've lived for 40 years. I did the uh, polling last time. I gave out ballot papers. I must yeah. have given out 1,500 ballot papers and I knew three people and it was four streets away from where where I, I lived. So, I really enjoy the, the anomaly of being here. You know, I'm saying the wrong Anonymity. Yeah. Anonymity <laughs> of being here. Uh, and I found I have no interest in going back to the, even though we have the family home still and I've recently sold it, but uh, I have no interest in going back. But I had a wonderful childhood. I ran the town. We ran, had the run of the town. We didn't do, we went to everyone's house. We. We only had to turn up at six o'clock at night uh, and our parents never worried about us. So, and I could uh, come home from school for lunch. So if you, come, Yeah, so if you're a townie, that was always the best part <laughs> of it. Because it's come up quite a lot, like the anonymity versus everyone knowing your business thing. And some people think it keeps you honest, right? Um, like in the country, people are like, well, you know, you can't hide and you've got to be honest. I think and it keeps you accountable to a degree for sure. And it could be good, but I totally, like I've, I've written about it, spoken about the good parts today, but I also found it extremely stifling as well to be Madonna's daughter in Grafton. <laughs> 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 and, um, and I found it so freeing. I think one of the things that I do love about the city that I didn't even mention before is I'm not going to try and say it because I can't say it either, being anonymous. <laughs> And there is a freedom in that for sure and a freedom that I felt after I left the country of walking down the street and not running into people that you know. Yeah. I'm, we've probably got time for one more question. Um, just really interested because um, without guessing, I'd say I've probably got a decade on a couple of you guys and my experience yes. of being in country was quite different. Like some of you were big smoke to me. Yeah. Um, dirt road, you know, and um, just recently there was a magazine came out, it's new, called Grazy Her. And uh, I've, I've written a book and I've been asked about LGBT attitudes in country towns and, and I always respond with, there is no generic country town. Every country town is different. You can't, it's like every city's different. Yeah. And I find it dip. this book you've got together is really good because it obviously highlights that country towns are all different. They have their personalities. And, and she said, you know, we're not all toothless farmers out there, you know. Some of us have organic stuff. We've got wineries. And I think that when you go back to country now, it's, you know, city people can go there thinking they're in the country, but actually they're not yeah. in a way. It's pretend. I mean, sometimes you've got to go to really isolated country towns to feel... Like, there's no water, there's no this, there's no that. You get everything now. Do you feel that from where you've come from, that things have progressed to the point that you're not quite in the country now? It's it's a pretend country? Quick thoughts, guys? Well, Grafton definitely feels richer. 
now than when I was growing up and like there's more money there and I think that might be uh, city people making the sea change but that's um, the biggest thing that I've noticed in the 17 years since I left that there's more money around I think more money around can contribute to that sense of it being like fake country when you say fake country I immediately think barrel (laughs) (laughs) Ben yeah I mean Wodonga has also become a lot more rich in the past um, decade or so but I mean immediately I just think I, I would find it very difficult to have even a concept of what being in the country is given I grew up in a sort of in between the big smoke as you as you said we actually had to define it for the submissions for the book um, and even that was really difficult because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no large regional centres um, because I'm like, that's... But then it's like, well, some of them are actually kind of culturally country. Well, and as far as people from the city are concerned, you're yes. from the country. Yes. So it became kind of this big discussion. Um, did you have any final thoughts, Faz? Yeah, I'm really glad you highlighted that growing up in the country is not not the same for everyone. And like you said, that's what the, that's what the book is trying to highlight with all the different stories. Do you think, though... There is a very similar layout for, like, uh, a main street in a country town. It's almost like, you know, sometimes when you go if to... If there is a main street. Yeah. If there is a main street. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes when I go to, yeah, even Aubrey, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of Madura. It's funny how there's, like, there's a sanity, there's a supre still. Um, Luxury. Luxury, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I love that. We reference. had a tavern. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I reckon everyone should spend a summer in Birdsville. Um, thank you so much for coming, everyone. We have gone a little bit over time, but hopefully not by much, because I am a professional moderator. So um, please come and join us at the signing table afterwards. We'll all be there. We can all sign our different chapters in the book, um, and you can have a chat. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.